The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collin. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world, where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin. Hi, I'm Virginia Collin on Family Matters, and my guest today is Jennifer Joy Madden. JJ and I met at a local writer's group, and I learned that she wrote The Durable Human Manifesto, Practical Wisdom for Living and Parenting in the Digital World. And I read it, and I loved it, and I invited her to be on the show. So welcome to the show, JJ. Do you want me to call you JJ or Jennifer? Uh, either one you're comfortable with is fine. <laughs> okay. um, and, and thank you for inviting me. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm really glad to have you. So, for introducing you more formally, Jennifer Joy Madden is an adjunct professor of digital journalism, an author, and a speaker. Her words and images have informed millions on news outlets including ABC, PBS, Discovery Health Channel, The Washington Post, The Huffington Post, and her blog, DurableHuman.com. Uh, JJ, I know that you have really strong feelings about the huge importance of little, little kids getting to explore the world using all of their senses. Um, Is that what got you started towards writing this book? It, It came to that. It definitely started with children and my experience with children. And, uh, what happened was, um, I have kids that span 10 years. Um, they also spanned the digital um, explosion that has happened. And I noted some changes over the time that they were growing up, significant changes. Um, when my daughter was here uh, first, she had a, a typical childhood of roaming around like little kids do and you know, digging in the dirt and putting on funny clothes and just having hours and hours to play. And by the time my youngest came along, he was curious, um, very curious to start out with, and then he became curious about different types of screens. And I noticed that they were taking up a lot of his time. And... uh because they're fun, and he really enjoyed them. But I, I just had a sense, I had an intuition that there was a profound difference between their two childhoods. And, um, and because of that intuition, I, he would be the first to tell you that I would chase him off of various screens and, try to, and use timers and chips and all sorts of things to just limit um, time on screens. But um, 
it felt like the ship was listing um, as we progressed over the digital divide. And um, it was um, my concern about opportunity cost that got me to write the manifesto, ultimately. Um, I felt that the time that he was taking looking at screens was taking away from his discovery of everything, of the world and how it feels and how he, how it, how he feels about it. And I think that that's really important and why it's an essential point within the manifesto is for parents to know, young parents uh, of, of little, little kids to know that their job is to protect the child's time, to explore the world with all their senses, because there are, you know, brain-body connections that are coming out now pretty strongly that, um, that the, um, the kids need to, um, that, that the brain is growing at a furious rate at that point. A lot of neural connections are being made. And I think the more varied experiences the child has using the different types of senses is going to make connections. Um, and uh, Richard Louvre, uh, he's the author of Last Child in the Woods, talks about creating sense memories. And that's really important, I think, for kids to be able to feel their world and cold wind and snow and everything else so they can, they can remember that that they have a broad memory of the outdoors. But there's another aspect to it, and that is, I think, by unfettered exploration, with limits, of course, you know, bumpers on the furniture and stuff like that, and to close the door, (laughs) but with, um, given the ability to explore, I think kids get to know what they're like. I like to say that they get to know their own operating systems that way. Uh, they may find out that they like things that go around. Somebody else might want to be scribbling with a, a pencil, um, or not a pencil when they're too young, but, you know, a large fat crayon. And um, they're learning about themselves, and that's, that's the opportunity cost I was worried about, that if kids are engaged with other operating systems too soon, that they may never really get to the core of themselves and figure out what they like. They might never even know who they are if they're always engaging in other people's content. Um, and that if we want to get really philosophical about it, we can say that the world needs all sorts of different ideas and that, um, that we have always distinguished ourselves. The human species has distinguished ourselves by being able to come up with a lot of different solutions and discoveries and inventions. And if, the ch- if we're not following our curiosity and we're not, we're not letting it play out, we as a species are going to come up with way fewer ideas. And I think we're going to have less value going forward. Uh, there are a lot of things that are putting pressure on our species, and that would be um, just the various smart devices and that are out there. Um, yes, yeah, some of those devices just seem too smart sometimes. <laughs> they I, had a lot, mm-hmm. I had a lot of the same worries about my kids. Mm-hmm. I lived through the same transition. You know, mm-hmm. one of my kids would just be outside 
organizing football games or riding a bike or climbing trees or whatever with friends. Mm-hmm. And then a few years went by and it mm-hmm. seemed as if all of the kids would be parked in front of computers playing computer games even before we got to the cell phone stage, you know, so much fun was available through the computer screen that that took away from experiences that seemed to me like an essential part of childhood. Right. Well, it seemed to you, right, that's, that's, that was what's happening. And now, just now, we're kind of, we, we have fallen in love with our smartphones. Uh, literally, there have been studies that show that people are actually in love with their smartphones and they hold everything in there, and they are fully, they're full entertainment machines for sure, and they hold all the information in them um, of the world. So they're, they're very, very powerful. Um, but because of our engagement, we're just finding out about because of our engagement over the last 30 years with technology that there have been costs and unexpected effects. And so if you look at the, you know, the obvious is the, um, inactivity trend, and that's led to um, you know uh, people putting on more weight and um, what's become a diabetes epidemic. We cannot, we're not going to sit here and uh, blame technology for that whole thing, but it, it has something to do with um, America sort of sitting down, um, either mm-hmm. in front of a screen or on a couch playing a game or something like that, and mm-hmm. so that now we're beginning to see the effects. Okay. Um, how, go ahead. How would you say that it has affected family life? Okay. Well, I would like to uh, say that I didn't only notice changes in my kids over the years. Um, I noticed changes in myself, and um, I was becoming progressively less attentive as the technology got more complex. And I became more engaged with the technology. And so um, because I started to write on this topic, I began to educate myself and, and actually start using a lot of the things that the kids were you know, using. And just because I needed to, if I was going to be able to talk about it, I had to understand what it was about. And so I uh, created a website. I started to get on Twitter. I now have four different accounts. And I'm very involved in it. And sometimes it was kind of, you know, when he'd be off in his corner, then I'd be off in my corner, and I still kind of do that today, um, and I have to really guard against that. I wanted to do a needlepoint, and I may still do that, uh, a needlepoint that says turn around when they come around, which means, you know, like put it down and turn around. And, um, you know, and I think that's one of the trends that we have seen, um, uh, Catherine Steiner Adair, uh, she wrote the book, The Big Dis- Disconnect. She's a Harvard uh, psychologist. And she said that what she's seen in her research is that kids, and I quote here, are mad, sad, and lonely because their parents are very involved in their technology. Um, and that's pretty sad. And I had, you know, I've been thinking about that. And I actually had an experience um, that was kind of telling, I would say, so might as well tell you about it. Um, I was um, home on a Saturday morning in the wintertime, and 
uh, it was busy. I had a list of things to do. But for some reason, I checked my cell phone, and I found out there was a meeting that was down in a nearby town, and I wanted to go to it all of a sudden, which is, you know, it's kind of silly. But I, I wanted to do it. And concurrently, um, the uh, way I wanted to get there was on my bicycle, and the trail that's nearby was had been covered with snow and ice for a long time, and I was really excited because I think it was melted. So I, I don't know what it was that really compelled me to go do it. But I went, and I got my bike, and I happened to have a bicycle that f- folds up, and so I um, quickly put my bike together, and I looked at it, and the handlebars looked a little bit funny, but I thought they were okay. I kind of gave them a little bit of a push. And so I jumped on the trail, and I ran. I rushed to the meeting. Um, and then I sat down in the meeting, and I sat there for about five minutes, and I was like, whoa, this is not what I expected. you know." And I like slinked out of there after a little while, and I got on my bike, and I just rushed back toward home. And um, there was a little bit of ice still left on the trail. And so I tried to avoid these pedestrians, and I went between some ice and pedestrians, and I had to turn my handlebars. All of a sudden, the entire bike collapsed. I was hurtling onto the pavement, and I'm lying there looking up at these pedestrians I tried to avoid, and I was in, you know, complete pain. And it was just so embarrassing. The pedestrians came to my rescue, kind of lifted me up by one arm because one of my ribs was broken, and the, the guy um, attached my handlebars right, okay? So uh, thank you, whoever that was. And then I, I kind of limped my way home. I was able to pedal and all that stuff, but I got back home. But it didn't, it took a while for me to realize what exactly was going on there. And I learned about this word, mindful, which has become sort of a popular word, but I had no idea what it was. In fact, in the first version of the manifesto. I'm now on the fourth update. The first one I had almost kind of a disdain for mindful. Um, in fact, uh, it, 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 everything in the book was really great for most people. And then what this one person said, I don't know why you said that about mindful. I said, uh, businesses are all, often used, teaching uh, their, their employees about being mindful to be present whether they want to be there or not. Okay. That was a little bit of a snarky comment. And I think maybe that's why I fell off my bike and broke my rib because it was just bad karma. But um, <laughs> um, I found out later that um, mindful means being there. It means being in the moment and being alert to what's going on. And that, that's, the, that's the story. On my, on my website, I have this post that says my fa- painful meeting with mindfulness actually was on the, the Huffington Post too. But um, I learned that that my mind was five steps ahead of my body. I wasn't even there when I was putting my bike together. And that's dangerous. That's downright dangerous. As you can see, it was dangerous. But the deal is, listen to this. Um, I had this great opportunity to go to Portland a couple weeks ago, Portland, Oregon, for the TEDx Portland show. And this gentleman was giving a talk and he, he showed this, this graphic up on the screen about this. And he said, this little kid sees her mother on her phone, and her mother is always just staring at the phone. And the kid used the word 
she's frozen. And the graphic shows this big frozen water, you know, stream between the phone and her eyes. And people kind of laughed at it, but that kid couldn't get at his mother. And so I think it's a really serious thing that parents, we parents need to understand is to make our children our priorities. They're watching us. We need to teach them. They need us really badly. And we don't want them to be mad, sad, and lonely. I think that's like the saddest thing I've heard in the last five years. I just don't like to hear it. Yeah. Um, there's there's one piece of the story missing, and I'm going to ask because maybe other people are wondering too. What was wrong with this meeting? You you were so oh, excited my, about going what was wrong there. With the meeting? Oh my gosh! Look, I I don't even know. To tell you the truth, people are going to be like, "Oh my gosh, why did we ever want to go to that?" There were two people running for Congress locally, like our local government, and they were talking about what their next legislative agenda was. Can you believe that? So that's what, I, that's what I went to hear, and I was like, you know what? I got down there, and I realized I wasn't even in their district. Oh, my. <laughs> I know. That's ridiculous. But, but it's uh, important in a democracy for people to go to meetings like that. Oh, yes, it's great. Not <laughs> when they go, have a Go list. to your own district's meeting. <laughs> Pardon me? Go to your own district's meeting, yes. but participate. Be a little more. You know, you mix with different people's district. You know what I mean? And then people in your district run for other offices. So I think my guy was running for um, like a higher office. And then, of course, the district got larger because it was a senator instead of a... Anyway, um, but I wanted to say one thing. Um, Another book that that really I would recommend to parents to deal with this whole frozen notion, and that is um, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits uh, of Highly Effective People. And he talks about this concept of being efficient and it really, really struck a chord with me. And he said, efficient, when you're talking about machines, means to work as quickly as possible. You know, and we've seen the efficiency of computers go up, you know, exponentially every year and it's going to continue that way. Mm-hmm. But he said, being efficient with children is to slow down and really listen to them. And I think that that's the real lesson for our, you know, parents today is you need to slow down and listen um, because that's their only chance. You know, you went through your childhood and you, you know, you're, you had your parents' ear, um, if you're lucky, because they, didn't, they weren't as distracted. And, um, but now it's, it's like we have to have this consciousness of being less preoccupied. And it's a challenge. Yep, it is a challenge. We're going to go to break now. I'm talking with J.J. Madden, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit Colin Family Mediation Group 
www.colinhasoneL.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at colinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin. My guest today is J.J. Madden, the creator of DurableHuman.com. And she has, in fact, written the Durable Human Manifesto which we'll be hearing more about. And so we're going to talk more about what the heck does this mean to be a durable human being. But before we go there, I want to just point out that before the break, we were talking about the importance of parents being mindful and noticing when your kids want your attention and giving them attention rather than being stuck on whatever's happening on the screen of your cell phone. Uh, And we talked about slowing down and taking the time to address what a child needs. And I love that because last week I was talking with Dr. Ginny Trierweiler about how kids are born for brilliance and the way they discover their own brilliance and become competent, self-reliant little kids is when by having parents and other caregivers who slow down and give them time to practice things and learn things and do it on their own, even if the parent or the nanny could do it six times faster. That's not the time to be efficient. So I love that the two of you are sending a very similar message here. And now let's talk about durable human beings. What does that even mean? Okay. Well, durable is, um, it's an adjective, and it means to, and Webster's dictionary is to, uh, to last a long time without significant deterioration. And I think it's gotten to the point where you, we human beings need to act to be durable because there are a lot of forces against our durability. 
um, there are many studies that show if we don't exercise our muscles, we lose muscle tone, and there are a host of other connected uh, parts of us in our metabolism that are affected if we don't get enough exercise. That's just one thing. Um, the, the statistics are now coming out that eyesight is affected by using screens, uh, especially up close. In Taiwan, a lot of kids are not, uh, there's, a, there's, a, you know, there's an epidemic of nearsightedness. Um, and what they found is that this has a little bit to do, well, it didn't have, this one study showed that the rates of nearsightedness was, were greater in, among students who did not go outside for recess. So there's even, we're, we're animals, we're human animals, and we don't even know how much we're affected by being outside and in the sunshine. We're circadian creatures, we, we go by the rhythm of the sun. If we're deprived of that, it's going to have physiological effects. And so that's what I mean about being durable uh, physically, that we have to actually consciously be like, wait a minute, we need this. Um, in my next book, um, that I'm the first of the three that I want to write is called How to Have a Durable Body. And these kids, 15-year-old boy, was playing video games. He didn't really like sports that much. And um, his knees started to hurt. So they took him and they ran us through some tests. And he had two issues. Uh, one was he had shin splints. This is a kid who didn't run around or do any exercise, but he had shin splints. And he was very vitamin D deficient. And so we know that vitamin D deficiency comes from lack of sunshine. And so we shouldn't, met, we can't really mess around really with our metabolism and our bodies like that. We have to be cognizant of the fact that we need, we need contact with the outside. And it's uh, very important. And um, also it leads to, like your guest last week, uh, talked about, it leads to more self-reliance if kids are able to spend time without the parents. And it's usually enjoyable to do that outside because they can combine a lot of things. They can get exercise and run around and sunshine and um, take a few risks out there. And so I know you like stories, so I want to tell you a little bit of stories, a story about self-sufficiency. I Sounds mentioned good. my youngest. I'm, I, I'm, pardon me? I said, sounds good. Okay, I mentioned my I do youngest, like stories. <laughs> okay, my youngest son, uh, Riley, is, I, I kind of gave him a little bit of a hard time earlier about being, le- becoming more curious about screens and other things, but I have to tell you this pretty nice story, I think. Um, when I f- was first getting together the concept of durable and figuring out my website and what my book was going to look like, um, I decided we, my friend who's a fiction author, and I, a nonfiction author, decided that we wanted to go on a writer's retreat. And we wanted to be like laser beams down there. We wanted to really be paying attention to our writing and everything. And we had these two young sons. Uh, I think they were, gosh, like in fourth and fifth grade then. And uh, so we decided, well, you know what? They can have fun together, and we'll give them a job. We're going to have them cook for us. These kids hadn't cooked before. We did know one thing. We knew they both liked to eat, and we just had a sense that they were going to like to cook too. And so we got down there, and they were very willing to do it. This was before they had cell phones. Oh, 
boy, was that sweet. This was before we could even get an Internet connection in there. So the two of us loved being in there because we couldn't get online at all. And so that was sweet. It was even before I had a Kindle. So that was, um, and it wasn't that long ago. So it's funny <laughs> how things have progressed. But uh, the kids, uh, we had um, think of what they wanted to make for dinner, come up with uh, all the ingredients that they needed for it. Then they came up with a budget. Then they had to get themselves to the store. And we had two um, bikes. We were down near a beach. And they had to ride to the store, order all the stuff, pay for it, bring it back, and cook. And they did it. And they, they came up with some really crazy stuff, which we just still laugh about today. We talk about their buffalo carrot wings. They got those little <laughs> carrot stick things, and they put it in buffalo wing sauce. And they had some really interesting oh ideas. How, do, how old did you say the kids were? They were, um, oh gosh, like 10 and 11. Okay. 11 okay. and 12. So all, everybody out there who's like, whoa, <laughs> why did she let them do that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because they were getting a lot of durability skills during that, that all that experience. Um, they learned about personal navigation, which I think is really important. Um, we have uh, parts of our brain that are used for navigation, and if we don't use them, they get flat and flabby too. And um, I know that everybody can depend on GPS forever, but there will be some times when you're not with your device or the battery dies or something. It's helpful to know left from right and front from back and that sort of thing. So personal navigation to me is a durability skill. Um, they had self-confidence. It's um, a good skill. You should be able to look at the sun and figure out which way is north, south, east, and west. Right, <laughs> right. And okay, sorry, um, we talked to them about the sun, you know, so yeah, while mm-hmm. we were down there, that where is the sun and, you know, the sun sets in the west, et cetera. And then also self-confidence comes out of that. And the kids, one time, they forgot something at the store and they, you know, we looked at them like, well, isn't that a main part of the meal? And they're like, yes. So they get back on their bike and they go back to the store to get the one thing that they forgot. They come back, a thunderstorm happens on the way back and uh, the chain falls off. And so the storm is, you know, a storm is approaching and everything, and they have to get off and put the chain on. And they came back, and the, the, the lightning wasn't there yet, but they got in and they were soaked. But they were just so proud of themselves because they were able to um, fix the bike and save the carrots or whatever it is what they brought back. And so they were just really proud of that. And another thing I think that being outside on your own really helps with is um, physical coordination. Seriously, you know, to be physically coordinated and to know your limbs and all that stuff, I think that's, a, that's a dur- an unsung durability skill. And, um, and the sense of freedom, of course, and their ability to feel and think. You know, when you're on a bike like that and not talking, you know, your mind is working and they're processing and they're thinking of things and they're drawing conclusions. I think if there's only input if they're only looking at things with their eyes and playing a game and something like that, um, it's always input. And so I think it's, you know, it's really wonderful when a kid has time to think. That's a fascinating perspective. I have held the opinion for a long time that a child who doesn't have the opportunity to climb trees is having... And it's in some way a deprived childhood. But yeah. I was thinking of it only in terms of you miss out on so much fun if you don't climb trees. Uh-huh. And now you've got me thinking, 
You know, that builds your muscles. It gives you confidence in a skill that you have because you have to pay attention when you're climbing a tree. (laughs) You need to know which branches will hold you and which won't and keep three of your four hands and feet in contact with the tree at all times if possible, (laughs) et cetera. Exactly. And uh, gravity, you learn pretty quickly about gravity, hopefully not too high up in the tree. Yes. But, um, but yeah, that's why... (laughs) So I I interrupted the flow here. So you were telling us a story about the kids going to the store on the bikes and getting the supplies and making the dinner, and it turned out edible, right? (laughs) It turned out edible. And so I guess I'm bringing up a kind of a controversial subject because um, the kids... Uh, some parents have gotten in trouble for allowing their kids to walk to the park um, after training them in how to do it. And it's, uh, there, are, there are some good reasons to enable your child to, uh, by, with training to do some traveling on their own, walking from here to there, just because of the confidence it builds in the child. And I think that's, to take, that, to take all that away from them is depriving them. That's your word, and I agree with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but within reason. I mean, the, this freedom, giving them freedom, and having them interact with technology, and what they eat for dinner, these are all value judgments of the parents, and the parents can't abscond. They've got to, <clears throat> they have to engage and make those judgments because that's their job. And it is hard, and it's harder than ever to be a parent. And um, but that's why you got to take care of yourself and try to be durable and eat right, and you know, eat those things that that nurture your body, not deplete your body. You know, so it all goes together. Right. One of the things that I remember you're saying in the writers' group where I heard you talk was that this is not a battle between technology, yes, and technology, no. Um, Cell phones are good. Internet connections are good. There's a place for those in our lives. We just need to keep them in their place and pay attention to other aspects of who we are and how we are as human beings. Mm -hmm. Did I get that about right? You're absolutely right. It's this infatuation we've had. I mean, smartphones are like, you know, they're indescribably wonderful, and, and they've got a lot, so much going on that we can do with them. One thing I say in the manifesto is that they're so unbelievable, and I call them alt-brains. Sorry, folks, if that sort of disses technology a little bit, but it is an alt-brain for us. GPS and search and, and stuff, it sort of means it's a, we can, like, whoop, switch right over to them. And I think we have to be careful of not doing that. Too much. I'm talking with JJ Madden, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. 
To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at collinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. My guest today is J.J. Madden, creator of DurableHuman.com. I'm Virginia Collin, and we're talking about uh, what it takes to help people be durable human beings, human beings who will last and stay in good health and be able to handle the challenges that life presents to them. So... What's the mindset of a durable family? What strategies can parents use? You're up, JJ. Okay, great. Well, I wanted to tell you that just this morning I was able to go to um, a panel discussion about uh, presented by the Family Online Safety Institute, and they have presented a lot of really interesting uh, research. And they, a, a gentleman from Intel Security, uh, released a survey and it shows there's a bit of a disconnect between parents and kids and what they're doing online, uh, social media-wise especially. And about the parents, it says, we are finding they are in somewhat denial, overwhelmed, and underprepared. And that's kind of a damning statement. Um, And I guess I would just say, and then conversely with the kids, it says, they're smart, there's this, you know, suggestion the kids are smarter than ever type of thing. They were referring to a nine-year-old here. They're smart, but they may not be emotionally capable of what's coming their way. And so we have sort of disconnected parents, and then we have kids that are encountering things because of stumbling online. I mean, the parents sort of stumbled forward, giving them connected devices with, you know, kind of by accident or not really thinking it through, whatever. 
And um, I would say that parents, I wish they wouldn't feel so overwhelmed because there is support out there. There's a lot of support. First of all, they can, we can support each other. But, for instance, the Family Online Safety Institute has a lot of really good information on their website. And each of the platforms, Facebook, YouTube, um, maybe, I don't know. To tell you the truth, I haven't looked at Snapchat and some of the places the kids are on. But I think they all do have some safety and security, either videos or really easy-to-read articles. So it's not so hard for parents to get information. And one of the messages today was to, um, oh, then they said that two out of three, uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics actually said this last year, two out of three kids say there are no rules in their household about anything having to do with technology. And wow. I, don't know, I, I would say that uh, parents, if they start young, if they start when the kids are really little, discussing and, and sort of anticipating technological input into the kids' lives and how their, what their role is, I think it's easier. You know, it's just like it's kind of easier to manage a toddler. Like, a parents of toddlers look at middle schoolers and like, oh, my gosh, I could never handle that. so complex and everything. Well, I think you grow with your child. And if you start out and have some boundaries and have discussions and things when they're little, little kids and also have perspective on the technology and not, not just fall into handing them over, you know, tablets, even though they might find them really amusing, um, like all the time. Yes, sometimes they're, mm-hmm. they're really, really useful. But think twice about what they really need. And if you go with the, you know, the durable concept, you know what they really need is they need to fill the world with all their five senses. That's their only time in their whole lives. When they get to preschool, probably, they're going to have to, you know, be online and do that kind of stuff. But that's the only time in anyone's entire lifespan they can be what I call a wild human. When kids are born, they're, they're wild. We're wild animals. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> it's come to that. Um, and that later they plug into the digital world. And as I say in the manifesto, parents have everything to do with that happening. And so it's a matter of being careful about not using, you know, your phone as a babysitter type of thing all the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's kind point. of an update on the old rule of not using your television to take care of your kids. Mm-hmm. Right. But it's a little bit more, uh, <clears throat> there is actually a science to the way some of the, some things online are designed and they're kind of mm-hmm. designed to hold your attention. And in fact, mm-hmm. they are, you get little hits of, you know, you, you like it. It's fun. It gives you. It keeps you coming back for more, but that might not be, it might be an overdose. There's an opportunity cost to that if, because it could be yeah. the kid wants to play with it all day, and that's not such a good idea at all. Well, maybe this is a good time for you to say a little bit about the Durable Tips card that's available on your website, DurableHuman.com. Okay, sure. Uh, I just Quickie have tips. been, pardon me? Quickie tips, right? Yeah, this is my first, I like to call it my first product. Um, my son's a product designer, and I learned about design from him, and um, I realized how powerful it can be to design something and have, have it out there in the world, and people can really find it handy. <laughs> so yeah. I just made a little small card that you could post up on your 
your monitor or a fridge or something, it has little reminders about how to be a durable you. So, for instance, your eyes, there's actually a um, rule of thumb, rule of eyeball, that you should, if you're, when you're using a screen, that every 20 minutes you should look away into the distance for 20 seconds. And um, so that's pretty, that's an interesting little... That's a new 2020 rule. Yeah, that's right. So that's a little (laughs) thing. And then it talks about getting up a move every hour and then uh, talks about the amount of exercise people are, activity people are supposed to get every day. It's an hour for kids and a half an hour for adults. And then reminder to eat fresh food because that's what we humans need. Our metabolism depends on the micronutrients that we eat and fresh food that springs from the earth and the ocean. So that's why we need that to be durable. And then sharing a family meal uh, or just sharing a meal with other people, that's the time. And then my little other little uh, kind of design is there, which is a gadget basket. (laughs) My family knows about that. Um, it's a, just a basket that you put out of reach of the table and everybody deposits their devices into the basket. And then it becomes kind of more like one of those uninterruptible, uninterrupted meals that we used to have. And people can look each other in the eye and parents can listen for nuances and kids can get their concerns out. And it's really maybe one of the only times that the fam- those people sitting at the table are really going to notice each other as much as possible, you know, <laughs> at that yes. time. I did an interview one time with Anne Fischel, who uh, who wrote a whole book about family dinners and, mm-hmm. you know, has done a lot of research related to that. And it really does make a difference, you mm-hmm. know, if the kids have time with their parents, paying attention to each other, having a conversation over food without distractions from devices. It really makes a difference. It does. On the back of the tips card is that you can print out, uh, if you go to my website, it's free. Um, it says share a family meal. So I have the science on the back of these little tips. National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia has found that the more often families eat dinner or people eat dinner with their loved ones, the less likely they are to get into illicit substances and, and things like that. So it really does. It's kind of a, a glue that holds holds people together. And um, mm-hmm. the the bottom one I really like, and I'm really finding it's very important, is to sleep well. And I have a little drawing there, and it has the gadget out in the hall, not in the bedroom. Because I think the bedroom, even for adults now, is kind of our last sanctuary. It's the only place we can go to get away from all the input we've had during the day. And that's really a sweet place for kids to process all the input of the day and listen to their minds. I think that's where they can develop their sense of conf- conscience and to, to know what they're thinking. You know, all input and no processing is uh, unbalanced, to say the least. So that's a really mm-hmm. important thing. And in that vein, it's good to use a good old alarm clock, I think, um, and not use your phone to wake you up if at all possible because you get your hand on that phone and then it's, you just can't help it. You've got to swipe and see what's there. But with an alarm clock, it's just, you know, easier to sleep. And um, uh, wearing, a wa- wearing a watch is kind of the same thing, that you don't always have to check your phone to find out what time it is. <clears throat> okay. So, but thanks for asking about that. Okay. 
So I know you created the website, DurableHuman.com, and you wrote the Durable Human Manifesto, mm-hmm. and you have your first product is available, and I think you have an upcoming series of books planned. Would you like to say something about that? Uh, sure. I'd be happy to say something about that. I guess you mentioned that. the first one about durable human bodies. Right. Well, the manifesto, um, I like to call it a pep talk for being human, but it's really mm-hmm. trying to go get to get at the parents of very, very young children to know what their incredible sacred trust is, to really let that little wild human explore the world. They're going to have their whole life to use all the wonderful apps and all the great stuff that that they're going to get into, but that's really the only time they can do that. So that's, but it's philosophical. You know, that manifesto is, is you know, inspi- inspiration, really. So the next three, three books are How to Have a Durable Body, How to Have a Durable Mind, and How to Have a Durable Spirit. I'm hoping it'll work. It's kind of an experiment where I'm trying to do short books on the three different subjects, and at the end, maybe put them all together uh, to um, to make one book, which goes with the manifesto, but the uh-huh. mind is um, we're learning so much about the mind as I'm sure you have on your show all the time. New discoveries about uh, how powerful it is. One of the things that I've just learned in the last couple of weeks is dwelling on the positive uh, does train your brain to have a more positive outlook uh, outlook on life. So that's you know there's just so many things. Uh, and then there's a great connection between the, bo- the body and the mind. There's feedback loops that go on. And then uh, the spirit book is going to be more about um, <clears throat> freedom and autonomy. And it's definitely going to have a lot to do with being outdoors and the power of nature. And, of course, the connection with nature causes, causes a, a sense of ownership among people about about the planet and about the earth, and that's a really important skill for kids to have too, is to understand how their nest and and how it works and and how not to mess it up. So uh, that's what those three are are going to be about. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. I know I like the first book, so maybe I'll like all the others too. <laughs> well, I hope what you about do. Schools, schools use computers a lot to. Mm-hmm. Uh, teach skills to kids or have kids search for information or whatever. Do you have thoughts about the way that schools use computers or what else they should also be doing? Yeah, I do have uh, thoughts about it. The American Academy of Pediatrics, which was very famous for had the two-hour rule, um, they have have loosened the two-hour rule. And they've actually, I was looking really carefully at it yesterday, and they are now talking about one hour of entertainment being the limit. But they're not really having a, they're not having a firm limit on the other type. Of Wait, time using, out. What was the two-hour rule? The two-hour rule was um, kids shouldn't be on, on screens for more than two hours a day. Period. Ah, okay. And then... And they've loosened that. They definitely have loosened that. And I so want to get more information li- about entertainment hour that they're talking about that they don't want kids to have more but i the 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 kind of interaction the kids have in school is not generally entertainment maybe during recess or something like that but normally it's going to the rainforest and writing things and you know using and learning math and that kind of stuff so i guess my feeling is that um i mean eo wilson uh somebody i quote in my number, number of my books um he's he's a biologist 
probably the most famous and well-loved biologist in the world. And my very first post on DurableHuman.com was he was on NPR and he was talking about games are the future of education. And so he, I was kind of learning from him that he was really open to uh, using technology to teach kids. Um, but yes, I mean, hopefully they do have a recess like we talked about. The Taiwanese kids didn't, and so they had more, more nearsightedness. Um, if mm-hmm. the kids balance their, hopefully mm-hmm. at school, kids are also going to be sitting down and you may teach a reading to them and doing all, you know, beautiful things like that and going to gym. So if you add up all the screen time there, you know, I don't know. It's interspersed with walking down the hall and all that. I think at school it has to be balanced too. Mm-hmm. So it's appropriate for schools to teach kids to use computers for some of the things that computers do well that are useful. Mm-hmm. But schools should also be teaching kids to do things that only human beings can do because there are so many things computers can't do. Right. Right, and that's that's the thing about being durable is to be aware of what is it that you can do that you're, the computer can't do. And I always say our senses are way beyond the big five. We have some fantastic other senses, compassion, intuition, creativity, curiosity, humor, uh, reasoning in various ways. I know computers can do some of that, but that those are our edge. That's our human edge. And so, yeah, parents and schools should be pulling for kids to be able to utilize those things at every mm-hmm. turn. Okay. Well, this may not be something that does or should does happen or should happen in school a lot, but there's a quote from your book that I wanted to be sure to mention. Magic happens when humans touch. If it were possible to bottle a hug, it could be sold as a combination muscle relaxant, tranquilizer, and love potion. Our fingers are veritable magic wands. I love that. <laughs> oh, and it's such an important sense that, again, it gets, it's pretty unnoticed. Um, but it, that's skin-to-skin contact, and it's really, really powerful stuff. And, in fact, I refer in the manifesto to a study where kids were sitting on the floor next to their parent, and if the parent, they were babbling, blah, 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 and if the parent patted them right at that moment, um, they, were, they had larger vocabularies than kids that weren't padded during their babbling. And I say that iPads aren't equipped to do that. That, yeah, mm-hmm. an iPad can mm-hmm. read to a kid, but um, that an iPad can't reach out and touch a child. Mm-hmm. And look in their eyes. Okay. We have less than a minute left. Are there any last thoughts you want to share or any, uh, anything you'd like to repeat for emphasis? Um, I would just recommend that parents not be so overwhelmed and to be confident. They were uh, part of the last generation before cell phones. They should think back on their childhoods and be like, whoa, my kid deserves to have a childhood like that too. You know, I can hold off a little bit. I can teach them boundaries about using technology so they experience the world in all different ways, not just through a screen. Mm-hmm. So I want to thank you for being on the show and just give one more short quote from the book. <laughs> Today's parents' sacred trust is to jealously guard their children's chance to be wild. So I love that. 
And thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. All right. I'll see you at the writer's group. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow.